Now we have come to a period of time where we hear from God's word. So let us turn our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we've been walking through this epistle, we have been learning about the church, what the church is supposed to look like, what God does for the church, to the church, in the church, uh, with the church. I mean, you can just put anything in there, but we have been looking at this epistle from the perspective of how should we be as a church. We're trying to learn to, to understand ourselves as a church. And we have been going through the practical, um, the practical implications of what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and the past few weeks, we have really been slowing down and seeing one verse at a time as he kind of rattles off, starting in verse 12, going all the way down to verse 22, but, uh, the 10, 11 verses, a, a bunch of admonishments and uh, instructions to the church of Thessalonica. We have been really slowing down and breaking everything down to see what the Lord wants to teach us as a church, as he teaches the Thessalonian church in first century. So we will be looking at verse 15 today. Just one verse to consider. Um, first Thessalonians chapter five, verse 15. says the word of God, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Father, our God, we come before you to ask you for grace and wisdom and insight that is empowered by your spirit who is the eternal author of the words that we we read and we learn. So would you teach us, cause us to see the truth, convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment so that we may grow in our Christ-likeness and be transformed into his image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in preparation for this sermon, or this lesson, I was reading and I stumbled upon one uh, dictionary or uh, theological dictionary defines um, mankind and being in three different classes. So three different classes of mankind. Um, the first class he refers to as the man of the devil. And the second class of people is a man of men. And the third class of people is the man of God. And it says, the man of the devil returns evil for good. And the man of men returns good for good and evil for evil. And the man of God returns good for evil. And if you didn't catch that, the man of the devil, which this Bible or this uh, dictionary refers to, re receives good but gives back evil. Now the man of men, this class of people, receives good and give good back or will receive evil and and give back evil. Now there's a third class of man, which is the man of God, who would receive evil and give good. And if we are honest, our default position for all of us it's probably the first two, not probably, I can actually definitely say our default position is either to receive good and give back evil 
or to receive good and give good, or receive evil and give evil. That's, those two classes define us by default. All of us that are in this room. All of us, all of humanity, honestly. Because the natural man tends to live his life out in these two classes. Either a man of the devil, or we're men of men. If we're really honest, you might be thinking, no, I never receive good and give evil. By what standards? I would ask that. That's a little plug because um, the sisters that went to Dallas this week and they brought me a gift called a book by the name of By What Standard? I was listening to a podcast just... But by what standards? By our standards, we might not be receiving good and giving evil, but by God's standard, we are receiving good daily and giving back evil. Think of your disobedience to your parents. Something as simple as that. Who give good things to us. And we give back, oh no, man, you don't understand. My parents never, they're never good. You might say. Or, for most of us, if we're good, if we receive good from good vibes from our environment, then we give good back. And if we receive evil, we give evil back. That's the default of the natural man. So when we read this passage in 1 Thessalonians, that says, See that no one repates another with evil for evil. But seek always after that which is good. This is contrary to what our default position is. This is, con this is almost unnatural for us. You mean to tell me that I'm supposed to love my ops? That's a Gen Z language right there, as required, as requested, right? You mean to tell me that I'm to care for my ops? Those who don't like me and constantly bashing my name and dragging me through the mud? You mean to tell me I'm supposed to actually seek after their good? That is unnatural. That is contrary to what my nature is. But don't forget. Verse 15 does not happen in a vacuum. Look down at your Bible and see what, the, what Paul refers to the church as. In verse 14, we urge you, brothers, go up some more. Verse 12, what we ask of you, brothers. This is the language of brothers and sisters, the same family. We've been saying this every week. This is for a family of God. That means if you are a true believer, and because you are bought by the blood of Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God, you now have a new nature. It may seem unnatural to the natural man. It may seem impossible to do or contrary to what comes to you naturally, but this is a consequence of a new birth in Christ both for the church in Thessalonica and to this church, to you and I. This is not an unnatural thing. This is not something unnatural. This is not contrary to our nature. This is actually in line with the new nature. So Paul is not teaching or telling or asking or urging or commanding. God is not commanding us to do something that is unnatural to us. Because we have a new nature in Christ. You have a new nature in Christ. As those who have been redeemed by God through Christ and sealed by His Spirit, this truth is supposed to express itself in a real way, in a tangible way, in a way that people can look at your life and say, how can He actually love His enemies? How can she actually care for those who 
despise her. This, this is supposed to express itself in the church, as a church, in the church and outside the church. And I don't want us to take this as like a brotherly advice, like maybe it's an optional advice. But notice how Paul writes to them. He says, see that, see to it. This takes an utmost care and vigilance. We have to be careful. I think the NIV puts it in a really good way. The NIV, you're reading from the NIV, it says, make sure this happens. This is something that you must make sure. Not so that you can be considered as children of God, but because you're children of God. We have to make sure of this. We have to take an utmost care and vigilance that we do not repay another with evil for evil. There's an expectation that we have to have this obedient effort to do this. And this is a spiritual perception that causes you. And I want us to think of it, because we live in such a, a transactional world, right? Everything is a transaction. You want to enjoy your life, or you want to have fun, or you want to do anything, you can literally go to your phone and get whatever you want. Whatever you want, there's a transaction can be made. It's almost like a whole world is a marketplace. Right? So I want us to, to kind of approach it from that perspective for this morning to consider this as a marketplace of relationships. Think of your relationships as a marketplace. Right? They, people love you, you love them back. People hate you, you hate them back. Or people care for you, you care for them back. People don't care for you, you don't care. For... So it's, it's a transaction being, and this is what the world is constantly reinforcing for us, right? If you don't affirm me, then you don't love me. So if you don't have the same currency that I expect you to have in my relationship with you, then we can't do business. Right? So there's a transaction happening. In this marketplace of relationship, whether it's between your family, whether it's between the church, or whether it's between your friends and, and your ops, for that matter, there is a way you as a Christian should conduct yourself in this marketplace. And it should be defined by these two contrasting attitudes. And this will be our outline for today. Your conduct in this marketplace of relationships. First one is payback, and that needs to be subtracted. And the other one is, is pursue, and that needs to be added. Look down at your Bibles and look at verse 15. It says, see, no one repays. So this is where I get the word payback from. That's repaying is paying back. He says, no one do this. So you subtract that. And then the second part of that verse, he says, always seek after, pursue something that you're supposed to add to your character trait. And your Christian conduct should be defined by these two contrasting attitudes. So what does it mean when God commands us to not repay another with evil for evil? What does it mean that God wants us to subtract the payback attitude that we are so accustomed to? The Greek word for this is actually used for like reward in other places in the Bible or fruit. You know, you feed a plant, you plant it, you feed it, you water it, and it grows, becomes a tree, and then after it becomes a tree, then you expect something out of it. It's a fruit. And even sometimes for taxes. 
and rewarding good behavior or gaining fruit as a result of your labor or even paying fair taxes is not necessarily a bad thing. It's an acceptable thing. God says, do not pay back evil for evil. Because the question is, what happens when it's not good behavior that you experience? What happens when others wrong us? What happens when your labor seems to be unfruitful? You're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, and there's no fruit. What happens when taxes are unfair? When the burden of this world is taxing and it seems to be unfair. Because when it's all good and well, it's easy. We read it in our scripture reading today in Luke 6, right? I mean, even the sinners, he says, love those who love them or do good to those who do good to them. But what happens when life is hard, when others wrong us and sin against us and our labor seems to be unfruitful. From this passage, we know that God's expectation is that we do not meet those circumstances with the same force that they meet us. When evil happens to us, God expects us to not meet it with evil. That's the expectation for the church. That's the expectation for the Christian. That's the expectation God has for you. When others wrong you and they sin against you, you don't sin back. Why? Because we're weak? Because we, we lack the ability to, to actually react? Why is that? Because we are His in Christ. Because we are God's in Christ Jesus. And what He's doing is He's forming us into the image of His Son. Because we are not to be conformed to the world, but to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Because we are to be the reflection of who He is. Because we are to reflect His image. He expects us not to react that way. Not to respond to evil with evil. Here's an illustration that I want us to consider this morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. One of my favorite verse, uh, chapters in, in the Bible. Romans chapter 5. And I want to show you this because this explains to us who God is. And that expectation is to reflect His image. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 10. Listen to what he says. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now here, who is the ungodly? Us. Who is weak? Us. Right? But what is, who is Jesus in contrast to that? Is he weak? No. Is he ungodly? No. But he dies for us. Verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God, verse 8, demonstrates his own love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You notice what God did? God loved us not because we were good or righteous in his sight, but while we were yet sinners, while we were still doing wrong and doing 
sin and, and committing sin and unrighteousness while we were still giving him the, the, the result of the fruit of our sinfulness, Christ dies for us. Let's look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, do you know when you were reconciled to God? When did God reconcile you to himself? When you walked down the aisle and said a prayer, if you ever did that? When you went to a class and learned fundamental faith and somebody dunked you in a pool and, or sprinkled water however you got baptized? When somebody made you repeat words and say, Jesus, Jesus, come into my life. I receive you to be my savior. That's when you, re you got reconciled. You got reconciled while you were still enemies with God. So the word enemies is what I was saying, right? Well, we were still ops. God reconciled us to God, to himself, through the death of his son. And if we are to reflect this image as a church, as a Christian, what is God's expectation? When others sin against us, when they are our enemies, is it to hit them back, slander their name back, meet them with the same energy? No. Matthew repeats this. So you can listen to this. This is um, another account of our scripture reading in Luke 6, but this is Matthew's account. As the Lord teaches his disciples from the Sermon of the Mount, he says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You notice that. You love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you because you are sons of your heavenly Father. So God says, and, and through Paul, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, See to it that no one repays evil with evil because we are reflecting the image of Christ. Matthew 5, 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do, you, do not tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? I mean, Jesus goes back to who you even say hi to. You're only saying hi and, and being friendly with people that actually say hi to you? Is that, is that your standard? What's the difference between, uh, between you and those who are on a parade as we speak right now. You'd be the first ones, to, we, we would be the first ones to turn their, uh, their nose up at them, right? It's like, I can't believe they're doing a whole month of pride and this and the third. But, it's like, but we don't even say hi to one another. What's the difference between, or if we're only saying hi to those who, who, who are in our friend circles, or if we're only saying, I, I want to pray and care for you who are in our same group of friends and whatever, what difference do we have between us and the outside world is what Jesus is teaching us. Furthermore, we are to go above and beyond and actually pray for them. And preach the truth to them. Care for their souls. Even the Gentiles do the same. If you greet only your brothers, and what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same? 
So we are not to be like our culture. We are supposed to be like Christ. In fact, Jesus himself says, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We are supposed to be godly. We're not supposed to be gods. We will never be gods. We're not gods. We will never be gods, but we are supposed to be godly. Hence the title for the sermon, The Godly Church. So as a church, this is what the Lord is encouraging us to be, a godly church. Those who reflect God's image to the world and to one another. By doing what? By not paying back evil for evil. Subtracting that out of our attitudes, out of our hearts. And this is an outworking of what the Lord does in us through His Spirit on a daily basis. This is the fruit of the, the Spirit, which is self-control, that will enable us to do this and to engage in this attitude. Because as soon as somebody says something bad to you, what's the first thing that comes back to you? First thing that comes to your mind is hit them back, right? Somebody says, oh, you're ugly. Oh, you're ugly too. That's really what comes to us, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's the only thing. Somebody slanders your name and somebody calls you a name. I, somebody says something to you. The first response is anger and I want to get them back. And unless the Holy Spirit is bearing the fruit of self-control in our hearts, that reminds us, I am not to respond in that way. I am supposed to see to it that I don't repay evil with evil. Unless He bears that in our hearts, unless the fruit of self-control by the Spirit enables us to do this, we, are in, we, can't, we can't do it. On our own. But thanks be to God that you have been sealed by the Spirit. You have been redeemed through Christ, adopted into God's own household. So instead of flashing back and paying back, We are to pursue, we are to seek after that which is good. Notice, by the way, there's no loophole that you can escape, right? There's no clause there. There's no conditional clause that Paul gives us where we can use as a loophole so that we can act out. Notice what he says. Always seek after. He doesn't say seek after whenever it suits you, whenever it, it makes you feel comfortable, whenever it's this person or that person. There's no clause. There's no conditional clause. This is an endeavor. This is an aspiration that we may have. We, may, we must pursue this at all times under all circumstances. Well, you don't understand, Manny. You know, it's, it's kind of tough. This happens every day. This happens every time. This happens whenever we are under these circumstances. Okay. What does always mean? It means always, at all times, at all circumstances. Under all circumstances, God says to pursue, to seek after that which is good, which I want to define for us. Because that which is good, again, I ask that question, by what standard of good? What is the standard of good? Right? We have to define that. Or else, it may be good for me to go take a nap right now, or it may be good for me to go eat, or it may be good for me to go sit down, or whatever. What good is for me to, right now is not good to every single person that's in this place. So the goodness we're speaking of is godliness. The goodness that we're speaking of is based on the standards of God. 
as Christ taught us in Scripture. That is aligned with the fruit of the Spirit that is born in us. So when we say good, it means perfect in all the demands and excellence and honor of God. When we say good, we're thinking of what Jesus says is good. Remember the, 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 the story of the, young, the rich young ruler who ran up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus tells him what? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. So when we say we're seeking after that which is good, we're, seek, we're saying we're seeking after that is which is godly, which is by the standards of God, the perfection of God himself. And who, who, who is that? It's Jesus Christ. There's nothing more admir admirable, there's nothing more excellent than Christ. There's no one more excellent than Christ. There's no one good except for Christ, except for God himself. So how does this apply, seeking after what is, which is good, to one another and to, to everyone else, really? We'll come and take a look at it in a second. But how does that apply? What, do you, what does that mean? Flip to Philippians chapter 2. Very familiar passage. Picking it up in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose. Doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory. Here's the practical application of what that is good. What is good? Doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory. So when you pursue that which is good, you're not pursuing something from selfish ambition or vain glory. But with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Who's the most important person in your life? The Christian answer is Jesus. Then whom? Oh, my neighbor, that's also a Christian answer. But in practice, in reality, who is the most important person? Me. Not to you, but to me, by the way. <laughs> right? I am the most important person to me. My whole life is built around me. Everything revolves around me. How others pursue me. Or perceive me. How others must treat me. How I love me. How I don't count my flaws as being something so grand as the flaws of others, that I give myself a break when I sin. But when others sin, I discount them immediately. That's not good. What is good here, Philippians 2 verse 3, is 
with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5, have this way of thinking in yourself, which was also in Christ. Did you, did you, and then he goes into, and we'll, we'll read it to see what, what actually happened, which is a summary of the gospel. But this thinking that we are supposed to have was also in Christ. Considering not only his own interest, but also the, the interests of others. Regarding others as more important than oneself. Those are the humility of mind. Not doing nothing out of selfish ambition or, or, or vain glory. How does he actually show this to us? Because if we say he is most excellent... And he is the most admirable, and there's nothing more admirable and excellent than Christ. What did he do? Verse 6, who? Jesus. Although he existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made like the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how he pursued you. He walked and suffered. And live the life so he can be acquainted with our griefs. You think you have ops? Read your Bible. You think you are suffering from opposition and hate from others? Consider the life of Jesus. The very people that raised them try to kill him. Can you imagine? I just, I just want you to imagine that. He goes back to his hometown. And his hometown, and, and I, I want you to consider this. His hometown is not like Alexandria, Virginia, or Springfield, whatever, Northern Virginia, or the DMV area, whatever. It's not so broad where everybody lives in their own little houses and apartments, and nobody knows who the neighbor is. That's not, that's not first century Palestine. That's not the culture there. Everybody knows everybody. So they know who's who. So I'm pretty sure when he was growing up, the same people that tried to push him off a cliff because he preached the gospel to them were the same ones that raised him. Actually trying to murder him. In fact, they do succeed and murder him. And before they murder him, they torture him. Before they torture him, they vex his spirit. They are constantly coming up to him. Hey, let me, call, let me catch him in a trap. Constantly. Trying to catch him in a lie or something. And, just, and all he does is preach the gospel. Tell them the truth and love. Heal them, feed them, free them of bondage. Constantly. Are you suffering that much? Are you facing the same kind of opposition? I mean, the worst thing is they probably kick you out of a club or something. Maybe they cancel you off social media. If that.
even when that's happening, we are to pursue that which is good, which is Christ-likeness, which is salvation, even for those that do evil. Listen to what Paul says in that same passage in Philippians, verses 12, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. See to it that you always seek after that which is good. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, in obedience to God's will. Here's another thing I want us to consider as, as we hear this, we're like, okay, this is the message for the church. This is what ch church is supposed to be like. I always sit in the right corner of the room and in the front sometimes, and I just don't know who, so I, I, I need to actually get engaged more. I need to, we need to have this fellowship as brothers and sisters, and we need to actually care for one another. We don't need to be clicked up in the church. Okay, this is for the church only. No, not for the church only. There's no partiality in God. Notice what he says in the end of verse 15. Always seek after that which is good for one another, yes, the church, and for all people. And as the godly church is one that displays this attitude, Not only to one another, but to all, towards all that bear the Imago Dei. That's the image of God. All who bear God's own image. All of humanity. Doesn't matter if they're outside celebrating Pride Month. It doesn't matter if they... I mean, it, when I say it doesn't matter, by the way, I don't mean that you should affirm that. I hope you're not hearing me. I'm saying in, in the way that we preach the gospel to them, in the way that we love them, the way that we pursue them and we seek after what is good for them that are outside the church, it does not matter whether or not they, are, they come here. We are to go out and be marked by that. There's no partiality and how we display this Christ-like character to those. We don't withhold it to some and give it to others. Listen to what Paul says. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. By abhorring what is evil. So don't miss this. We don't love what is evil. Abhor means hate, despise, reject. We reject what is evil, but we cling to what is good, which is Christ-likeness, godliness. Being devoted to one another and brotherly love. Giving preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Are you picking these things up? Rejoicing in hope, persevering in affection. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, preserving in affliction. Being devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, pursuing hospitality.
Bless those who persecute you, verse 14. Bless and do not curse. See, it's not an either or. Blessing, who those who, blessing those who persecute us does not mean we don't abhor what is evil. But that's what the world wants us to think, right? If we say, hey, sin is sin. By the way, it's, so, it's such a low-hanging fruit. And we pick on you know, the, 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 the LGBTQ agenda, whatever, uh, as a church, because it's, it's just what we talk about. And this is, but I mean... You don't have to be. Sin is sin, whether you're straight or not straight. There's a sin of hypocrisy. There's a sin of lying and cheating and, and, and adultery and, and sexual immorality, which, which you don't have to be in that community. Right? So it's not just picking on that. It's, it's, it's your cousin. It's, there's a sin of false worship, idolatry, false religions. Atheism. We don't, we have to abhor those sins the same way we abhor other sins. So the gospel is not just for them. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for me and you. So when we bless those who persecute us, it's not just them that's persecuting us. And it doesn't mean that we don't abhor what is evil. Being of the same mind, verse 16, towards one another, not being haughty in mind, but associating with the humble. Do not be wise in your own minds, never paying back evil for evil to anyone. Respecting what is good in the sight of all men, in the sight of all men if possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men. Never taking your own revenge. See, I contemplated about titling the sermon something along the lines of revenge and, uh, and being able to avenge. And I even wanted to say the Avengers, maybe. I don't know. And I was just like, no. I decided against it. Because this is what this passage in First Thessalonians is telling tell us. Don't take your own revenge on others. Instead, seek for their salvation. And if they're saved, seek for their sanctification in the church. That's the meaning of, if you summarize the sermon. When a brother sins against you, use that as an, as an opportunity to be sanctified and to sanctify him. And if a sinner or if, if an unbeliever sins against you and does evil to you, use that as an, as an opportunity to show him the gospel, to preach to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, Paul says. Whose is vengeance? God's. God says vengeance is his. It's not our place to take what is God's. We are to leave room for the vengeance. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will reap, you will heap burning coals on your head. Imagine. Your enemy comes and does evil against you. And instead of doing evil back, you show the love of Christ to him. You feed him. Give him everything that he desires. What kind of person does that? He would think. Because it's unnatural. For the natural man, it's, it's unfathomable. Why would you love me as I'm inflicting pain and evil on you? 
And that's the heaping of hot coal. That's the imagery there. So hot and burning, it's, it's red. The flame, the flame is right there. And it's like every time evil happens and you do good, that's what you're doing. You're not executing judgment or you're not avenging yourself because vengeance is the Lord's. And he will repay. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we are so thankful that you have given us your own begotten son. Your only begotten son who displayed this great love to us by reconciling us to you even while we were enemies. By doing the perfect will, good will that you have, you have bestowed on, on him even before the foundation of the world and accomplishing it and giving it to us even when we were undeserving. So Father, help us not be overcome with evil, not repaying evil with evil, but pursuing, seeking after that which is good for all and most importantly for one another who are in the same family adopted by the blood of Christ. Father, bear in us the fruit of your Spirit so that we may be able to be lighthouses, be the salt and the light of the world, preaching the gospel of love, preaching the truth of the gospel and love, even to those who persecute us and hate us. Give us this heart, give us this attitude. Let this church be marked by this. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.